Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continue our series today, Easter According to the Gospel of John, with a message titled, Fishing with Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Well, very good. I'm reading all of John 21, 1 to 14, the entire passage. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, dragged the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, you might wonder what one can possibly say about this account. The disciples went fishing. Jesus told them to throw their nets onto the other side of the boat. They did. They caught 153 fish. They went to the shore and had breakfast with Jesus. That's the story. I mean, what more is to be said? You know, kind of a short sermon. And that leads to an interesting question. Why is chapter 21 in the book of John? You could read the book of John to the end of chapter 20, and you could come to the conclusion that's the end of the book. You see, John begins by saying that Jesus is God. That's in John 1, 1. And then in chapter 20, Thomas confesses that Jesus is Lord and God. And then John concludes by saying that these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So what more needs to be said? The book has come to an end. The story is over. It's reached a beautiful climax, and we're left to contemplate the beauty of the story that's been told. We're left after this impressive evidence about Jesus to believe. And yet we have chapter 21, beginning with the disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee. So what's to be made of that? I mean, why is that included? It seems anticlimactic. But here I want you to think about what we have in this chapter. We're called to see something that's essential to understanding this book. The first thing I want us to contemplate is how similar this account is to an earlier one found in Luke chapter 5. It recounts the calling of the first disciples. Jesus has been teaching on the lakeside of the Sea of Galilee, probably in precisely the same location that we find this story in John 21. But in Luke 5, crowds are pressing in to hear him teach, and he doesn't have any room to stand. 
There are two fishing boats on the shore. One of them belongs to a local fisherman by the name of Simon Peter. That's Simon's fishing headquarters. Jesus steps into Simon's boat. The two of them have not met, and he tells Simon to put out a bit from land, and then he carries on teaching from the deck of Simon's boat. That gives Jesus room to teach so that the crowds don't push him into the water, while the water itself becomes a natural sound amplifier so everyone can clearly hear him. And so Simon himself is drawn into this teaching experience. And after he's finished teaching, since he's already in the boat, Jesus tells Simon to take his boat into the deep and let down his net for a catch. You know, most fishing in the Sea of Galilee was done at night, and Simon had been out all night and he had caught nothing. But something in Jesus' tone made him obey. And no sooner had the nets hit the water, but they were full of fish. In fact, they were so full of fish that the nets are breaking and they have to signal another boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full of fish that both boats were now in danger of sinking. And Simon then fell down at Jesus' feet and he says something quite interesting. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He believes Jesus to be a holy man and he's unworthy to have him in his boat. Well, Luke tells us what happened next. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats onto land, they left everything and followed him. And that's how Simon and James and John became disciples of Jesus. You know, another way of putting that would be to say that's how they embarked on their mission. They're going to stop fishing for fish, and they're going to start fishing for men. And apparently, very successful fishers of men who would have enough room for all the fish that they would catch. And when we come to the end of the book of John, chapter 21, although John has now explained to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, he needs to add an appendix. Something needs to be said about the mission of the disciples. Now that they fully know who Jesus truly is, God come to them in human flesh, they need to be sent out. They're almost ready to proclaim the message to the whole world. They need now to be fishers of men. But they've messed up. They've all abandoned Jesus at the cross. And Simon has denied that he's ever known Jesus. And he was dealing with his own shame over that. And when the tomb was empty, and they were all slow to believe, that is with the exception of John, but now that they've seen Jesus raised from the dead, Jesus has passed every test for them, but they it would seem, have failed every test. And John needs to explain how Peter got reinstated and how the mission to preach Jesus was embraced by all the apostles. He needs to tell us how it is that they became fishers of men. So how is the mission to spread the news of Jesus going to be entrusted to these men? They seem unworthy of the mission, and yet the mission to preach the gospel will be entrusted to them, and John has to tell us that part of the story even though he has now proved that Jesus was in fact God and that we receive life by believing on his name, how did that message get communicated through these guys? And so John adds an appendix to answer that question. Seven of the disciples, the seven of them who were from Galilee went fishing. They would have been just outside of Capernaum where Peter was from, where he and James and John always moored their fishing boats. Much has been said to condemn them for going fishing. Some say they abandoned their mission to go back to their occupation. I've even heard this story used to condemn those pastors, you know, who quit the ministry and go back to another occupation. Well, I do think that's misusing the text. I mean, after all, what should they do now? 
They didn't know what to do next. This was, you know, incredible news. Jesus was God come in human flesh. He'd conquered death. And besides, they really did need to support themselves and their families. While they followed Jesus, some people had supported them. But I imagine that once he died on the cross, the giving dried up immediately. And what they needed to do is make a living. So they went fishing just like they used to. And just like the day when Peter first met Jesus, he was out fishing all night with the fishermen from Galilee, and they had caught nothing. It's now early in the morning. A man standing on the shore in the early morning light. They can't quite make him out, but he's shouting to them. You know, the word children, which we find in our Bible, is much like the old English expression, lads. Lads, did you catch anything? And then he tells them to throw their nets onto the other side. Now, why they did that, John doesn't tell us, and we just don't know. Maybe they thought he was a fisherman who knew where the fish were. I mean, it's it's hard to say, but whatever the reason, they decide to do what the man on the shore has told them to do. And as soon as the net hits the water, it's full of fish. It's teeming with fish. They're trying to drag the net filled with fish into the boat. It's far too heavy. And John, the same disciple who walked into the empty tomb and believed, the man that saw the grave close, immediately knew what it meant, says at this point in time, I know that man on the shore. It's the Lord. And Peter does something we don't easily understand. He puts on his outer garment and he jumps into the water. I don't know about you, but I would take off my outer garment before I jumped into the water, but not Peter. You know, picture it this way. He's stripped for work, I assume down to his underwear, that prevents his clothing from being tangled with the netting. And instead of jumping into the water just like that, which was the easiest way to swim, he thinks it inappropriate to stand before Jesus like that, and he's still overwhelmed with Jesus' holiness and his own unworthiness, just like the day when he first met him. After all, when he first met Jesus, he thought himself as a sinful man. And now that he has denied that he's ever known Jesus, he has proved that he's a sinful man. So he puts on his outer garment and he jumps into the water to meet Jesus. This month on Back to the Bible Canada, we express gratitude to our monthly partners and earnestly celebrate all those who privilege this ministry with their gracious support every month. Your consistent gift ensures Bible teaching and engagement resources continue to be offered through a wide variety of mediums across Canada and around the globe. We invite you to join our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program. And in so doing, You'll not only help to sustain and grow this ministry, but in appreciation each year, you'll receive our annual scripture calendar, a copy of an annual CD series, and an exclusive 15% discount on all of our Bible teaching and engagement resources. For more information on becoming an 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner or to join, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You've got to picture Peter. You know, unlike that first day when he asked Jesus to depart from him because he's a sinful man. That first day when he wanted to run from him. Right now, he can't wait for the boat to get onto the land. Peter must go to Jesus as quickly as he can. 
but he will dress appropriately even if he's dripping wet. So he jumps into the water and he swims the hundred yards to the shore. So why does John tell us this story? See, there's no doubt in my mind that he's tying this account to the one that's told to us in Luke. He wants us to know that Jesus is re-emphasizing the reason why it is that he called Peter and the rest of the disciples in the first place. From now on, you will be catching men. As Jesus is preparing to launch these men into their life's calling to preach the gospel to every nation on earth, he brings them back to the place where all that adventure began. They're back outside of Capernaum, that little fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where he had found them the first time, that little obscure nowhere village. So I see something very deliberate in this account. Jesus has told the disciples to go leave Jerusalem and to go up north to Galilee, and it was there that he would specifically meet with them. And Jesus is deliberate in this. He wants them in the place where he has first found them, to the very circumstance in which he had found them. He wants to remind them how they were called and what they had been promised. They were told to catch men. And so in this, they're reminded of their mission, of their task. See, I can't overstress that point. It's the task for the disciples. You know, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus' last command to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's their task. It's been given to us. We should know that. I mean, have you ever noticed how easy it is for us to forget the task? It seems we're always forgetting the task. I mean, many a church has taken the primary task and they've made it into their secondary task. See how? So, for example, let's remember, you know, that there are a great many worthy goals we can give ourselves to. I mean, one such goal is that we have been called upon to care for the poor. And this is a praiseworthy goal and it's commanded to us in Scripture. But is it the primary task? You see, some Christian organizations started out feeding the poor and preaching the gospel, and then they end up feeding the poor, and they never mention the gospel again. You know, I find that whenever the primary task of evangelism is moved to be the secondary task, it takes almost no time at all until the primary task is the forgotten task. See, from now on, you will catch men, the disciples were told. And forgetting the task of missions— and sharing the gospel, and winning people to faith in Christ, and planting churches, and discipling them. If we forget, well, at that point, we stop being obedient to Christ. We need to get back on track. See, the greatest need in our nation today is that men and women are on their way to Christless eternities, that they labor today under the wrath of God, and they need to hear the saving news of Christ. And so that's why this text is included. You know, it's one thing to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but what a tragedy if the ones who believe that are no longer interested in calling others to believe as well. So I'd like to tell a story of what happened to me a great many years ago. My oldest daughter, Rachel, was then just a little girl, and I had promised her that next summer we'd go fishing in northern Saskatchewan where her grandparents lived, and she was so excited, and finally that great day arrived. We got a boat, we rented it, and just her and I, and we went out into the lake, and after a long time, we didn't even get so much as a nibble. 
And I remember this incident so well because she was almost in tears. She had her heart set on catching a fish. And it looked like that wasn't just going to happen. I was wondering how to tell her that it was finally time to go back to shore. And finally, she said to me, and I'll remember this, Dad, tell me the story where Jesus told Peter to throw his net onto the other side of the boat. And I could see where this was going. Uh, We'd been casting our lines only on one side of the boat up to this point in time. And while I tried to explain to her, you know, look, honey, it's in the Bible, but it's a one-time situation. And it really doesn't relate to this lake right here in Saskatchewan at all. And she looked very impatient. And she said, Dad, just tell me the story. So, you know, reluctantly I did. And when I finished, she said, you know, Dad, I think we should cast our line to the other side of the boat. Well, I felt bad because I was pretty sure we weren't going to catch anything there either. But I didn't want to hurt her faith. And she was insisting that we should do it just the way Jesus said. So with a sigh, we we turned around in the boat and cast her line to the other side. And I'm telling the absolute truth. Just about the time the hook hit the water, bam, she had a fish. I mean, it was exciting. A nice big fish. She reeled it in. I remember her look afterwards as if to say to me, you know, how do I deal with a dad so filled with unbelief? And I, for my part, marveled. You know, one commentator said, whenever we encounter the disciples fishing in the Bible, they're catching nothing. They need Jesus. Well, that's the story. Remember what Jesus told the disciples in John 15, verse 5? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I sometimes wonder about all the evangelism seminars we do here in the West. You know, training programs to get your church to grow and seminars on how to strategize for effective missions. Look, I'm not against all of that. I just think that we've come to rely on our own strategy, our own power, and we may find that we're not catching anything. See, the power to catch men comes not from our brilliance, but from the Lord. It's his power. It's that great. Indeed, they catch 153 fish. It's a a catch so large, it should break their nets. But unlike the last time, this time the nets don't break. It's a sign that their resources won't be overstressed. See, I'm reminded of Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. See, there's no shortfall in the harvest. The problem will be with those who are willing to do the work. And I can just imagine the scene in John 21. Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish that they've caught, and they're giddy, and they start counting them, 153. They've never had such a haul in their lives. But John doesn't end the story here. After pulling the fish in, Jesus says, come have breakfast. He's obviously ready to to make breakfast for them. They're tired. After a long night, they would be tired and hungry. He's going to provide for them. And then comes that strange sentence. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Well, if they knew it was the Lord, would they want to ask him if he's the Lord? But here's the realism in this account. Remember, Jesus is not simply resuscitated like Lazarus. He's resurrected. The disciples were still getting used to the strangeness of seeing him in his resurrection body, indestructible, enduring life. Yeah, they recognize him, but yes, he's also so different at the same time. And in order to make them comfortable, Jesus invites them to eat with him. And in this moment, when the God of glory comes to them and makes them breakfast, they just sit and eat. And in that moment, it becomes so apparent that the mission he has, 
the mission of winning people to faith in Christ, he will also give resources. Yeah, they have to return to the beginning. The task will be evangelism. Yet they must understand the secret that the power is great. And yet they must see the abundance. The catch will be large. But they must never forget that although the task he has assigned to them is so very great, he will be the one who will provide for them all that they need. See, whether it was Jesus washing their feet and inviting them at his table to eat the Passover meal and celebrate the new covenant, or to sit with them on a beachfront and have breakfast and talk, Jesus was not turning his disciples into missionaries only. See, he was demonstrating that he was their provider and that they would not be forsaken. There was to be intimacy between them and him. And soon he would ascend into heaven and they wouldn't see him again until they would be called home. But it would never be lonely. He would be with us to the very end of the age. He would never abandon them. They would always sense his presence and also they would sense his power and they would sense the productivity of their calling. So let's go fishing with Jesus, shall we? Let's catch men and women for Christ. And as we do, let's remember this truth. He will never leave us or forsake us. Thanks, John. You know, I think it's true to say that maybe some people will never experience bringing someone to Christ. How is that possible? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I, I know that it, it a lot of things... Um, well, I'm going to say a couple of things here. One is, of course, there are people that live in a culture that's highly resistant to the gospel. And some people live in cultures where uh, to share the gospel, of course, results in imprisonment and death. So let's keep that in mind. Let's also recognize that in our culture, there, is, uh, there are some of us that are just afraid to do so, afraid to share our faith so that those around us don't even know we're believers. We maybe go to work in places like that, never told people about you know our own faith, shared our own testimony with anyone else. So if you've never done that, I'm sure you're never going to lead anyone to Christ. So I think what we're going to have to ask is the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and to give us an overwhelming love for Christ and to unlock our jaws <laughs> so that we begin to tell people what God has done for us. Uh, include a note of praise when God has done something and, and, and then be ready to share the good news and be able to share it in such a way that people can understand and give their lives to Christ. Do that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Easter, according to the Gospel of John, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, it's Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know that there are times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John but also take the opportunity to learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, the YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust 
is as widely available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.